Father, Lord, we thank you for being here today. We thank you for your word that is rich in transformative principles. We thank you that you have not called us to be bound, that you have given us victory in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the spirit of unity that rests in this church, God. We thank you that you use this church as a model that we can transcend race and gender and socioeconomic issues and build a community that really reflects your desire, a multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic, multisocioeconomic organization that's transforming lives. And we thank you for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you were here last week? All right, we're going to do a small recap of um, the message from last week. We're talking about matters of the heart. We're talking about the stuff that's in your heart that keeps you from living free. How many of you can acknowledge you got some stuff that's in your heart? The rest of you come to the altar. We'll, we'll take you. We'll go ahead and have an altar call. So we want to talk about this because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you ever want to know what's really in your heart, all you have to do is listen to what comes out of your mouth. Your mouth is always going to reveal what's really in your heart. For example, has anybody ever said, as soon as I get paid, my money already gone? Anybody ever said that? Yes. And, and, and what, that was your reality, right? And because you believe that, you didn't even look for ways to change that from being your reality, you just accepted that as reality, right? How many people have ever heard um, somebody say, there are no good men out there? Anybody ever said that? Anybody want to admit that you ever said that? Uh, I, nobody want to admit that they ever said that. Nobody says that, but here's the reality. If you believe there are no good men out there, you could never attract one. And even when one showed up, you would automatically decide that there wasn't any good men out there. So he, can, he couldn't be for you. You find a way to attach yourself to a man that wasn't good for you because your fundamental belief is that there are no good men out there. Amen? And so our issues are going to ooze out of our mouth, which reflects what's in our heart. Now, we've been talking since we started in September. What's our favorite scripture around here? Romans 12 and 2. Tell me what it says. It says, change if you want to experience the good life. That's the Sean Strickland version of Romans 12 and 2. Change if you want to experience the good life. Amen. The reality of it is the areas in your life that you need change, do most of you know the areas of your life that you need change in? Do most of you know you should change? Uh-huh. And most of you don't change, right? Right, because it's not that you don't know in a, on an intellectual level that you should change. It's that you haven't done the work in your soul that will allow you to change. Right? And so what we want to do here is a lot of soul work. Why is soul work important? Third John 2, beloved, above all things, I wish you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Why do we keep going over this? Because if you don't transform your soul, you will never experience the good God has for you. And even when good shows up, one or two things will happen. You won't recognize it or you'll tear it up because you cannot live a prosperous life with a jacked up soul. You can't have a healthy relationship when your soul is jacked up. You can't promote successfully on your job if you think everybody is against you. 
You can't take criticism. You can't take feedback. Why is this so important? Number one, Jesus loves you. Say, Jesus loves me. Saying, Jesus wants me free. And as I get free, I am able to produce freedom in the lives of other people. What's up, man? You want to help today? You coming to help? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. He like, no, I'm not coming to help. How many of you know that you can't help somebody have a healthy marriage if your marriage is messed up? Right? How can you help somebody with your finance, when their finances, when they don't have, when you don't have any money? You, so here's the thing, that until you change your life, you will always minimize not only what God can do in, in you, but what God can do through you. What God can do through you. Okay, so last week I told you these things. Um, I told you that life is 80% psychology and 20% mechanics. Okay, we've been talking about our soul since September. Somebody who's been here a couple times since September, tell me what parts your soul comprises. What's your soul made of? Mind, will, emotions, imaginations, and intellect. That's everything that we can see about you. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. You clearly in the fast class. Go ahead. Give yourself a hand. So your life will never advance among your soul. So you must become a person who thinks about your thinking. You got to think about why you did what you did, why you respond the way you respond, why do you act the way that you act, how, why do things affect you the way that, you affect, that they affect you, right? John, uh, John 8 and 32, I don't know, are we going to have scriptures today? Yeah, John 8 and 32, let's pull that one up. Um, yeah, let's move it over a little bit so that we see. Shout, I'm changing. No, no, I said shout, I'm changing. That was a shout, I'm changing. Listen, change isn't always easy, but it is necessary. So we talked about this scripture last week. It says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make, make you free. You can't see that word. I don't know where it went, but it's over there, okay? If you look in your Bible, it's there, okay? <laughs> no, no, I love that this is a perfect setup because, like, we need to laugh a lot because I'm going to dig deep in your life. And so if you start laughing, then you'll be able to take it, okay? All right, good. So we talked about how you shall know the truth and that that word know is the same word as the word intercourse, meaning intimately acquainted with. And so we talked last week about how just because you can regurgitate something doesn't mean you know it. That we know what you know based on what you do. Okay, so I am not good at math, okay? I have never been good at math. I could make a different confession, but I don't really need to do much more than add and subtract to live my life. So I'm okay with that. So what happens is, is that I will watch Edwin explain a principle to the kids, right? And as long as he is explaining it, I'm like, yes. And then he will go out of town and he will want me to explain that to the kids. I'm like, I don't even know what you said. So what happens is, is that I have the ability to articulate it. I have the ability to regurgitate it, but I'm not intimately acquainted enough to produce it. Now, some of you have read the Bible enough that you know that you should be kind, you know that you should be free, that you know that you should be free from depression, but it's never become real enough to you that when depression shows up, you know what to do. When anger shows up, you know what to do. When financial tragedy and health problems show up, that you know what to do. So God says in order for us to be free, we have to become so intimately acquainted with truth that it changes how we live. Right? This is the day of getting free, right? 
I want to tell you it's your fault I don't like math. This is my mama over here. It's your fault I don't like math because you was good at math and you would be saying the same thing louder and stuff and making me nervous. It's your fault I don't like math, but I forgive you today. See? See how that works? See how that works? Because she could do math in the top of her head. She'd be like, I don't understand why you don't get it because I don't get it. Right? So you need to understand that there are things that impact your life. It may be something as simple as math. Math, not so much of a big deal for me because I don't want to be an engineer. But what if my purpose was to be an engineer? You understand that I would have to deal with that fear of math, that anxiety about math in order to be free. Well, what about you? The things we're talking about, we're talking about anger. We're talking about low self-esteem. We're talking about self-sabotage. God has said that he came that you, John 10 and 10, let's go there. Say I'm being changed. The challenge for a lot of people is that you have learned, especially people who go to church. Here's the challenge with church people. You know what the word says, but you don't know you. You can quote all the scriptures, but you don't know you. And so because you, so you think that because you quote scripture, you are scripture. But you don't know you. You're, you you're, you're not, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transform, it indicates that you got to change, right? It indicates that you got to change. Most people don't really know, like, not only, you may know that you need to change your finances. What you don't have never dug deep enough in is to know why you spend your money the way you do. So you know your finances should be different. You know how frustrated you get when it's paycheck time and you already out of money. You got them little cards coming in the mail. You know them little cards that mean that you didn't budget well. Those, and when you having to go and swipe your car and wonder whether it's going to go through or not, you know that you should change that. The problem is you don't know what is in you that causes you to live that way. So in crisis, you say, I'm really, really, really going to change. And then you don't do the work to actually change. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so John 10 and 10. It says, the thief comes, <laughs> but to steal, kill, and to destroy. So remember last week we said if you have anything in your life that's stolen, who stole it? If you have anything in your life that's destroyed, who destroyed it? Anything in your life that's being taken away, that's being killed, still stolen or destroyed, who did it? Who came that you might have life and have it more abundantly? Now, here's the challenge if you've been going to church for any length of time. Sometimes in your life, you don't do the stuff you need to do in your soul, so then you say, Jesus taking you through. Yes, so, for example, it's either Jesus or the devil for most church people. You don't have money because the devil stole your money. Did he steal it when you went to Dillard's? Like, is that when he stole? Did he, did he steal it when you knew you could only afford to eat out one time, but you ate out three? Was that when he stole it? Because if that's the case, the devil is dressed up as you. And you are the one that's stealing your money. Now, did love not work out because God don't want you to have love and God had to take Bobo because you, was, um, you were walking away from the Lord to, follow, to be with Bobo? Is that what happened? No, 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 no. No, Bobo left you because you should not never been together to begin with. And if you had listened to the Lord, you could have avoided all of that. Go be quiet in here today. So Jesus came that you might have 
life and have that life more abundantly. Say, God wants me to live the good life. Say it again. Say, God wants me to live the good life. Tell your neighbor, say, God wants you to live the good life. Say, but you can't live the good life with a jacked up soul. So you have to be committed to changing your soul. Let's go to Psalms 51 and 6. And then we're going to rehearse, we're going to get into some of the things we went over. And then I'm going to get some people to come up today and we're going to model with some people what it takes to change. Psalms 51 and 6. It says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Now, wisdom is, is defined as it's God's way of applying knowledge. That's what wisdom is. It's true, if it's true wisdom, it's what God would do in the situation, okay? It says, but you desire truth in the inward parts. So what God is looking for is for you and I to be honest enough with him about where we really are. But sometimes we aren't intentionally lying to God. Because we are lying to ourselves. You understand? Sometimes you lying to yourself. Like, here's a lie I hear people tell themselves all the time. They go, I don't eat that much compared to what? You don't eat that much compared to an elephant? You, or you don't eat that much compared to a person who is only taking in a reasonable amount of calories every day? Because if you used to eat 5,000 calories a day, and you eat 3,500 calories a day, you still eat a lot. And so if you decrease that, you're like, I don't understand why my body isn't changing. Because you're lying to yourself about how much you actually take in. That's the challenge for a lot of people. He says, but I'm looking for you to tell the truth about yourself. Lord, let's just tell the truth. I eat a lot. Let, let's just tell the truth. I like to be angry. I don't know why I get so angry. Because you like to be angry. Because there's a message you've learned from being angry that caused it, makes you feel victorious, and that's why you keep it. Because even negative behaviors, we keep them because we get a benefit out of them. Right? Can, it, can you see that? There are some negative things you do in your life. Okay, you don't like to run out of money, but you do like to go out and eat. And so you keep going out to eat because you enjoy it more than you like having money. So, we have these experiences, we have these things that have sabotaged us, we have these things working. Last week, we asked people to identify an area in their life that God was like, hey, we need to deal with this. Who did that last week? Here's an area in my life that I need to deal with. Well, great, not enough hands, let's do it again this morning, okay? So, what we're going to do is, you have probably got a lot of things in your life you need to change, but God isn't going to change you all at once. He just go process you out, right? We would be overwhelmed and we would all quit if we knew all the stuff that God needed to change about us, okay? So, while we're sitting here, I want you to ask God, what's one area of my life that I could commit to working on? What's one area of my life that I need to change. And you may be thinking, how will I know it's God speaking? Well, the thing that you hear, does it need to change? And let's take it as God, okay? Because the devil's not going to give you a word to change something that's going to make you better. Who has something that they need to change? As you have something, I want you to stand to your feet. I have this thing in my life. I know I need to change it. I believe this is the thing that I need to change. Here's the thing. 
for those of you who like don't commit to change something, you can never get better. Like you're not going to get better unless you're willing to say, here's an area of my life I'm willing to work on. So you have to be willing to say, here's an area of my life that I need to change. Now, everybody has something? Yes, I can't hear y'all. Everybody has something. Look around the room. Look at how many other people in this room are taking a journey to change. Right? So look at them say, we can do this. High five somebody, tell them we can do this. High five somebody else, say we can do this. We can do this. Why is this? Can you say we can do this with just a little bit more energy? Because it sounds like we're not sure if we can do it. It sounds like we're not. It, it, it sounds like you're scared. Right. Can, let, let's try. Let's try. I'm going to count to three. And then you say we can do this again with like you believe we can do this. Right. One, two, three. We can do this. Do you, what, what happened in your body when you changed the energy of how you said it? You felt it, right? Change. That's why Chris tries to get you to use your body when you praise. Because if you use your body when you praise, it'll change how you feel about praise. So if you use your body when you talk about change, it will change how you see about change. Right? Let's do it one more time. We can do this. One, two, three. We can do this. Ooh, that was good. That's good. One more, one more time. One, two, three. All right, now give yourselves a hand, have a, have a seat. Let's talk about why people change. Let's talk about why people don't change and, the two, and one of the two things that people need to change. Like, oh, this doesn't feel very churchy. Church is about transformation. Ch church is not about emotional highs where you lay, where you feel real good. Anybody ever done this? Um, church was really good, but you don't know what happened. Oh, church was so good today. Oh, church was good. The Lord really moved. What, what happened? I don't know, but it sure was good. That's not how we're called to live. Sometimes we need to let, leave church and say, church show was painful today, but I'm better as a result of it. I'm thankful that God cares enough about me that he will give me something to change. Amen? So, um, most people don't change for this reason. These are things you should write down so you remember about yourself. Most people don't change because they associate more pain with change than with staying the same. So most people know they need to change, but most people don't change because they think it's more painful to change than it is to stay the same. Most people don't change until there is, until this reason right here, they have to. Most people don't change until they have to. And then even when they have to, some people will still self-destruct rather than change. So people change for this one reason right here, desperation. Anybody ever change because they were desperate? Anybody ever change because you had to change? If you didn't change, that was, you, you had to change, right? But you don't have to wait till you get desperate to change. Here's another reason people can change, and here's why believers ought to change. Inspiration. When you hear that God wants better for you, it should inspire you to pursue better. 
When you hear that God has created you for victory, it should inspire you to pursue victory. When you hear that you are designed to overcome and be in healthy relationships and make enough money and have jobs that you love and be healthy and not have to be 35 taking 27 pills, when you hear that, you should be inspired. And then you should begin to move in the direction of your inspiration. So people change because they're desperate or people change because they're inspired. And one of the things we want to do is that we want to raise up a body of believers that changes because we're inspired. Because we believe that we should have great marriages. Because we believe that when we have great marriages, we will raise kids that are healthy, that are not dealing with issues that some of us are dealing with because we lived in families that either didn't have two parents or had two parents that was crazy. Right? We want to be influential on our jobs because when we're influential on our jobs, God can use us to be difference makers. You know, the Bible says to be the head and not the tail. I believe that one of the reasons that God is looking for believers to be the head is this simple reason right here. When you can decide who to hire, God can speak to you about who needs a job. When you can decide. He can say to you, give this lady right here a job. She's at the end. If she doesn't get a breakthrough, She's going to quit. She needs to know that I heard her pray. That's why God says he wants the righteous and authority because the people will rejoice. Amen? Wouldn't you rather have a godly good leader than a tyrant? Wouldn't you rather have a boss that cares about everybody on the team than somebody who just wants to step on people to get to the head? Maybe you should be that boss. But if you can't take feedback on your job, if you're not willing to learn, if you can't take criticism, if you can't grow, your God is never going to be able to position you for that. And some of you, you have dreams of owning companies. You have dreams of advancing in corporate America. You have dreams of being the head and not the tail. Are you prepared in your soul to do the work it takes to advance? Because every journey has a cost. Every journey has a cost. Amen? So anybody ever had a I have to change situation? Say, I. Has anybody ever changed because they were inspired? Yes. Isn't change a little easier from the inspired position? Because if you wait till you are desperate to change, there's a fear around it. It's like, if I don't do this right now, if we don't do this right, you, we, God hasn't called us to live from this if I don't do this right now. He's called us to live like this is where we should be going. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. All right. So, people change for desperation and people change for inspiration. We've identified an area. Here's the two questions I want you to ask yourself. This change that you just identified, this change you identified? Yes. What do you gain if you change it? What do you gain if you change it? Is this making sense? What do you lose if you don't change? What do you lose if you don't change? Chris, come back. Come back. Chris shared with us last week. Chris, what was the area you identified last week that you need to change? Do you remember? Oh, I was going to say, did you do any work if you can't even remember? Okay, so your attitude, what do you need to change? My attitude relationships people who want to be around me more yes <laughs> she's like not sure will people want to be around me more 
How many of you in this room can say, I need to do some work on my attitude? Look at what you get if you change it. If you change it, you win. If you don't change it, what do you lose? You can say, well, I don't care if anybody likes me. No, you're lying. You care if somebody likes you. You may not care if the whole world likes you, but everybody wants somebody to like them, right? And for those of you who are married, can you afford to keep that raggedy attitude? You don't want your spouse to have to pray to obey God about not leaving you. You don't want somebody to stay with you just because they're trying to do the right thing by God. You want them to want to be with you, right? Give Chris a hand for sharing. So we did this example, but let's do it again, and then we're going to get into competing beliefs. What you focus on is going to determine what you can change. What you focus on will determine what you can change. Remember we did this last week. Those of you who were here, look around the room. Identify everything in the room that's brown. Identify, look in the room. Even the brown people, remember we said you could identify brown people. Look in the room, identify everything in the room that's brown. Once you've identified the things in the room that's brown, close your eyes. Now I want you to identify everything in the room that's green. You know why you couldn't identify what in the room was green? Or is not because you weren't focused on it. So if you focus on what you lose and change, will you change? Not a trick question. If you focus on what you lose in the change, if you focus on the brown, will you see the green? If you focus on the food you have to give up, will you gain the body? If you focus on, if you focus on the fact that you can't eat out, will you have money in your savings account? If you focus on what you lose, you can't see what you gain. You have to pay attention to what you're focused on. You have to hang with other people who are focused on the same things. People who are trying to get in shape, they quit hanging out with us. They don't go eat dinner with us. They know we're going to eat a lot of food. They know we're going to have an appetizer. They know we're going to have dessert. They know we're not going to drink water. They be like, I can't go eat out with y'all all the time. Right? Even some of you who um, went to college and you had really, really good friends who didn't go to college, those relationships changed. Why did they change? Because you go home back to wherever you're from, and people are having conversations, and you like, why are we talking about this? Why is this relevant? Why? Because what you focus on changes. Here's one of my best examples. I grew up in Fordyce, Arkansas. It's a small town. Anybody who lives in a small town knows this. We did not live in the subdivision. We lived in the neighborhood. When you live in a neighborhood, you can do whatever you want to, to your house. When you live in a neighborhood, you can have four cars that broke down with dogs that live up underneath them. Won't nobody say nothing. Some they people, you burn trash in your barrel when you live in the neighborhood, okay? Right? Right? And even if you keep your house nice, it don't mean the other people have to, right? They break their windows. They don't mow their grass all the time. We moved up here. We bought a house in a subdivision, right? You know what we found out in the summertime? They cut their grass every week. And when you don't cut your grass, when they drive by, they are looking at you. You know, if you live in a subdivision long enough, do you know what you will start doing? Cutting your grass every week. And do you know what you become? The person that notices that a car has been on the street for two days. You're like, wait a minute. Who car is this right here? Does it work? 
Because if it don't work, it's got to go. Because you can't be up in our name. Why? Exposure. What you focused on changes. There's furniture you had in your first apartment. Couldn't live in your house right now, could it? You were so happy for that furniture at Furniture Factory Outlet. You got that whole series for $599. They gave you a couch, a love seat, a chair, a rug, two end tables, and two lamps. For $599, you move into a new house and what was amazing in an apartment you like, they can't go up in my house. We didn't have a dining room table for four years. I let my kids skate in the dining room because I was like, um, this table can't come up in here. So what you expose yourself to will determine what you expect out of life. So if you're a single person and you want to have a healthy relationship, hang with people with healthy relationships. Don't hang with people who sit around and every weekend, ain't nobody up here today. Ain't nobody. You don't need everybody. You just need one. Just one. You don't need everybody. But, you, but what you do is you hang with people and you go, Chris, ain't no men up here. And then she go, show sure ain't. Everywhere we go, we can't find a good man. And then you like wonder why you're by yourself. Because you got a self-fulfilling prophecy. You ever seen cartoons with the little thing? You got a bubble over your head that says she does not believe there are any good men. All jerks apply because she is so desperate to have some affection that she will deal with a jerk because she don't really believe it's any good men here. Men who want to be good men. You can't hang with dudes who do everything. You want to be a good husband? You can't hang with the guy who got three girlfriends. That ain't going to work for you. Number one, even if you don't have a side chick, your wife know he got three. You going to have trouble when you get home. You been over at John's house. She know John cheat. When you come in, she like. Look, Edward, look how I'm looking at you. Look how I'm looking at you. You're just staring at him. He came up. You're just staring. You don't even say nothing. He's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. You start saying random stuff like this. Don't make me kill you. You know how hard it is to go on a date with somebody talking about you don't make me kill you? I'm trying to get you to understand that if you don't change about your thinking, if you don't change who you hang with, if you don't change what you talk about, you're not going to change your life. And so what happens for a lot of people in churches that you come and you hear that God wants you to live prosperous, but during the week you do the same old things, and then over time you begin to feel like God is lying. God's not lying. You aren't shifting. You got to change. God is not lying. You aren't shifting. And shift is uncomfortable. You got to be willing to put yourself in a situation. Some of you, the reason that you are tapped out and growing right now, you're the smartest person in your group. You hang in a group. You're the, you, you, you ought to be intentional about putting yourself in a situation where when they're talking, you don't know what the heck they're talking about. You ought to be intentional about putting yourself in a situation that you got to stop and say, um, what does that mean? Because if you're the smartest one, then in your environment, they, nobody's going to grow beyond you. The researcher says, says it like this. Identify the five people you spend the most time with. That is your life. The five people you spend the most time with, that is your life. So if the five people you spend the most time with aren't serious about growth and development, 
aren't serious about walking with the Lord, aren't serious about healthy relationships, aren't serious about transforming their lives, that's your life. Got to be willing to be uncomfortable. You got to be willing to be un- to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. When I was in law school, I had a professor, Professor Nance, and Professor Nance would take us into these situations, and she would know we didn't. Our little country kids, we hadn't ever been anywhere, we hadn't been exposed to anything, and this is what she would say to us. She would say, "When you go in the situation, watch and see what they do before you do anything. Learn by watching." Here's the other thing. These are just some free tips before we put somebody in the hot seat. When you are in a room full of people who live at an advanced level than you do, if you're sitting in a room with somebody and they have a better marriage than you, you don't talk, you listen. If you're sitting in a room with somebody who is advanced in corporate America or they built their business or they have healthy relationships with their kids, you don't talk, you listen. You already know what you know. And what you know isn't enough. So you listen when they talk and you glean so that you can grow. Say, I'm growing. Say, I'm committed to changing. Say, I am not a person that quits because it's hard. Go ahead and give yourself a hand. All right, here's what we're going to do right here. Um, can you bring me in the chair now? Um, can you bring me in the chair? I'm going to pick some people. I'm going to pick a person out of each section. I should have put some numbers on the chair so I could have had to pull, but that's okay. I'm going to pick some people on each section. Put it right here. We're going to talk about competing beliefs. In James right right here in the Bible of James, it says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded man. You ever been double-minded? Do double-minded people make any progress? If you're double-minded, you cannot make any progress. Now, most of you, you're not double-minded about Jesus. You've decided that Jesus is Lord. The problem is that you're double-minded about the things that God says you need to change so you can live in, vic- in victory, right? Okay, Pastor Edwin told me I could pull on him. Um, I could pick on him. You did, that's what you said. Did you say that at home? You said, if I needed somebody for an example. It is so hard to do this work up in this place. Can I get the pastor? Follow by, lead by example. Lead. Tamara, Tamara, want me to call you next? Because you always be co-signing for your dad. We're going to have to talk about that. Always, every time your dad say something, you co-sign. Okay, so let's talk about this competing belief. Okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. I have a little advantage because I know you real well. Okay. Um, do you believe that the Bible says that you should turn the other cheek? You, you do believe. I do believe that the Bible says you should turn the other cheek. Right? Do do you? Does the Bible also say that you should not sin in your anger? Does the Bible say that? It does. Do you believe the Bible is true? I do believe the Bible. When you are angry, do you practice that principle? I try my best. Okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Is it, do you have a competing belief about what should happen if I slap you right now? Not me, because I'm a woman. If Howard slaps you right now, do you have a competing belief about what should happen if Howard slaps you right now? Absolutely. <laughs> 
Talk to you can hold them on the podcast about the business. I absolutely have an impeding belief. Well, the Bible says that you should turn the other cheek. I, I believe that the Bible means that you give them a little bit of I have an impeding belief. Well, I could make I could make this sound nice and say yes, but if Howard slaps me, I'm probably gonna knock his head off. Howard. <laughs> so I do have I do have a competing Can you see in your own life? We're laughing at him, but can you see in your own life where you have competing beliefs? What's the problem with a competing belief? Tell me, what's the problem with a competing belief? You you don't grow, right? You you there is in competition. Okay? All right, I want to go further. Can we go further? Not anymore. It's always been that way. <laughs> Anybody else in here that angers your friend or has been your friend? Lift, lift your hand. Okay, let's, let's talk about this. Okay. Tell me what is the value you get out of being angry. Tell me what you learn about being angry. What does being angry do? Being angry allows me to change a situation into what I think is my advantage if I feel I'm being taken advantage of. It allows me to exert force. Who can identify with that? Okay, so let's just even talk about in the beginning years of our marriage, okay? When you use, okay, so what happened when you were angry? What did you, the, just the two questions we talked about. What did you gain when you were angry? What did you lose when you were angry? And what would have happened if you hadn't dealt with it? I lost our ability to actually communicate. My only goal was to hurt you in some form that you reject. <laughs> no, who can be honest enough to admit, admit that that, no, no, if you can be that honest, stand to your feet. If you can be that honest, stand to your feet that that's what happens when you get angry. That when you get angry is your goal resolution. What's your goal when you get angry? To attack and to win, right? It is to win, right? It is to strike a blow that shuts them down, right? Have a seat. Give, a, give, a, give them a hand for being courageous enough to stand up. I didn't tell you to leave yet. Okay. But tell me what you lose in a relationship when you do that to a person you love. You lose intimacy, the ability to communicate, um, and ultimately you lose the marriage. Because if you're only concerned about being right, and eventually, you, you just erode away trust and respect and all these other things. Do you understand what he's saying here? So if anger is this thing that you learned was a win, and you use anger on people you love, then over time, even if they stay, they close their heart to you. Because they know that in an angry situation, you will use what you know hurts them the most. When you're an angry person, people can't tell you their secrets. 
because they know that if you get angry enough that you will say, and that's why you so-and-so. And you can say you're sorry, but it destroys the intimacy. So for those of you who are still struggling with anger, the question becomes now, are you willing to make a decision? Are you willing? Because we talked about a decision means what? What does a decision mean? It means to cut away. It means to draw a line in the sand. So it may not be that you're willing to say today, I'm willing to stop using force against everybody. But if you don't stop using force against the people that you love most, what's going to happen? So you'll pray and you'll ask God to give you somebody to love you. And what will you do? You will push them away. Why will you push them away? Because you're trying to protect yourself. And if you try to protect yourself, you cannot have intimacy with people. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's an example of competing belief. Come on, give him some, give him a hand. So now we got to talk about like you have to make a decision. Say, make a decision. You have to make a decision to do life in a different way than you've done life before. And if you've used anger for 30 years, you're not going to change it in every incident. But here's what's going to have to happen for you mentally because you always need a practical step. Okay, people who are angry, let me tell y'all what y'all do because I used to be an angry person too, which is why we was like tearing up stuff, okay? Because I don't retreat real easy. That's not a part of my DNA, okay? So what happens is this, is that people who use anger as a tactic, in your mind, you are going off before you ever show up. This is what angry people do. This is what I'm going to say. I wish somebody would. I mean, ain't nobody even done that. you like, if they do, I'll bust them in their face. Why? In your mind, you are meditating on an angry response. So when you show up, all you can do is be angry. Is this making sense to anybody? So you have to begin to see yourself having a conflict with somebody. And in your mind, you have to begin to meditate on. Because if you've argued with anybody more than three times, you already know what they're going to say. You know what they're going to say. You know what you're going to say. You know what's going to happen next, right? You know how it's going to escalate. You know the buttons to push, right? You have to see yourself when they say that, not saying the thing that you know takes it to the next, next level. But here's the problem. You feel like that is giving up your power. And until you can change what you associate, until you can, until you can attach more pain to destroying the relationship than to responding the right way, you will continue to do it. Does that make sense? Now, we can have an altar call about this, but at the end of the day, until you change, nothing's going to change. You understand what I'm saying? We can pray for you to shift, but you have to practice. You're going to have to practice. When, how many of you in a relationship with somebody, whether it's your spouse, your mother, your whoever, you already know exactly what to say? If you know what to say, raise your hand. Who will make a decision not to say it? Because that's where change comes. If you'll make a decision not to say it, stand up. Because that's what the journey is. The journey is that you'll make a decision not to do it. And you will begin to hold yourself accountable every time you do it. You don't get to say, here's one of the rules in our marriage. You don't get to say, I did it because you did it. Because you just agreed you don't do that anymore. Is that what you just decided? All right, high five somebody. All right. Here's the place of power. Let me give you a place of power. 
The most powerful person is the person who refused to be controlled by somebody else. So if so, let me help you, all of those who've used these excuses, and then we'll do one more. Well, oh, here's the thing. Some of you use excuses like this. You say, they make me mad. Let me help you. This is what we tell our kids all the time. Nobody makes you mad. You choose to get mad. You choose to get mad because you believe that getting mad is powerful. Right? Okay, let me, let me see if I can pick one more person in here, somebody who will admit not anger, not anger, not anger, because the other thing is that you are a retreater in conflict. Who retreats in conflict? You stop talking. Nobody, I was going to say, you know you're not no retreater. I was going to my mama, you better quit, um, um, Davina. I, I was going to stop the whole service to have somebody go get some Pam so I could spray some oil on her. Davina, come on up here. See, and I see, we can't even talk about her issue today. We don't have that much time. Y'all stretch your hand toward my mama. Stretch your hand toward my mama. I'm going to tell y'all some stories in January when she's not here. She's not lying. <laughs> yes. All right, so now, here we go. Now we have a person who retreats. Tell me what you learned about retreating. Before that, what was the power in retreat? So people who retreat, it, it, it's still control. Do you still do you still see it's control? I you are asking me, do you hear me talking to you? And I just go, do you hear me? I'm still exerting control. It may not be loud, it may not be ugly, but it's still control. Okay, what happens when you're in a relationship with somebody and you won't talk to them? Nothing happens. So, so people who retreat, they like to feel superior to the angry people because they like, at least I'm not hollering and screaming but you're just as destructive because you can't solve a problem. Now what people, what did you, what have you learned to do? I've learned to be better on the line with the person that wants to Who's holding stuff in? Who holds stuff in? Okay, let me talk to you people who hold stuff in. People who hold stuff in, you're at one of the greatest risks for heart disease, heart attacks, strokes, and for arthritis. Because what you hold in makes your bones bitter. And a lot of times if you see people who have a lot of sickness, they're people who hold things in. Now, those of you who blurted out, here's the reality. Once you get angry, it takes your body 72 hours to recover. If you go off, it takes your body 72 hours to recover. 72 hours to recover. So every time you're using anger or you're holding in, we're, so we come here and we prophesy about living long lives, but you go home and use anger and you use internal process, and what you're doing is you're working against the very thing that we're talking about, right? 
So those of you who hold stuff in, can we get you to make a decision about being um, intentional about talking about how you feel? Can we get you to do that? If you do that, can you stand up if you're willing to talk about how you feel? Now, I'm going to teach it. Those of you who hold in, I'm going to teach you a tip if you deal with somebody who's angry, okay? If you deal with angry, I'm going to teach you some tips about dealing with angry people. You can go back to your seat if you want to. Here's some tips for dealing with. Get in my hand. Here's some tips for dealing with angry people. If you know you retreat, those people you have conflict with in a neutral setting, you have to say, in order for us to be successful, we have to, re we have to change how we, re how we engage with each other. You have to say things like this. I want you to understand that if you want me to keep talking, you cannot yell at me. If you yell at me, I will give you one warning. If you yell again, I am done with the discussion until you can talk. That's owning your power right there. If, if you yell, if you walk behind me, if you keep calling, if you keep texting, if you won't let it go, I'm telling you that every time you do that, I'm not going to engage with you because I need a little more time. Those of you who have trouble talking about how you feel, I want to give you this, this other tip. Begin to write down talking points. Here are the three things I'd like to cover in our conversation. Here's the one thing I want to talk about. You may have to send a text and say, these are three things I want to talk about. And, and, and those of you who talk with people who are really aggressive, we can use this example because they've talked about it, is that said it can be really aggressive and then Davina can really retreat. So Davina has to say to said, I need to talk for five minutes and I don't need you to talk while I'm talking. Let me get it all out. You be quiet. If you interrupt, I'm done until you're ready not to interrupt. You teach people how to treat you, but you teach yourself how to respond in conflict. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you these steps, and then we're going to stop for today, okay? Because my baby in the nutcracker, and we can't be late. All right. I love y'all. Okay. 1107. So here we go. Here are these steps that you need to apply in life. How many you really... How many of you know you really could use like an all-day workshop working through some stuff like this? You got a bunch of bad habits, a bunch of stuff that you need to, a bunch of stuff that you need to learn how to deal with. And there are habits that you've had so long that you sometimes don't realize what they are. Listen, so I'm going to tell this story because I've told it before, but some of you missed it, right? Listen, I am the type of person that if you strike me, I strike back and I strike hard. I grew up on a bus with a bunch of boys who played the dozens every week. I learned how to dig deep. I go for the juggler. I want you to die if I have to engage with you, okay? I am aware of that about myself. So I am very intentional about not allowing myself to get to that space. I am very, very intentional about not allowing myself to get to that space. But because Pastor Edwin and I early on in our marriage, he's aggressive, I'm aggressive. We, we don't have no passive people in our relationship. We, we, both, we, both, we both like, what? What you want to do? I mean, that's, that's kind of how we roll. If you ever get in a fight, you should call us, okay? We, we, who you want on your team, okay? <laughs> we don't really retreat. We don't have a lot of retreat skills in us. But so what can happen for us sometimes is that if we start to engage about something, one of us will get immediately aggressive because that's our natural defense mechanism. And then the other person has to say, hey, I'm not your enemy. I'm not gonna do this with you. So here's my funny story, because I want you to always know that we're making progress, we're not perfect. This summer, I was on my way to Sam's, 
Edwin called me. Some of you heard this story. He said to me very nicely, he said, hey, Sean, he said, I was down in Caleb's room, and I noticed that Caleb's window hadn't been fixed, and I want to know if we have the money left for the window. And I said, well, you remember we did X, Y, and Z, these other things when we were fixing the house, and so we don't actually have the money for the window. So he says something kind of like, he's not rude. He says, well, I don't really remember. Refresh my memory. He says something like this, refresh my memory. When he says refresh my memory, I said, I smoked the money. That's what I did, right? Like I have gone all the way left, right? I, I, <laughs> that's what I did because that's what I do. I smoke up our money. That's what I do. He just stops. He goes, I think you should call me back. In my mind, I know I'm wigging out for no reason. He's not a great, it doesn't matter though. I am in the zone. I'm ready to go. But he gets off the phone. By the time he, hang, he hangs up the phone, I find a parking space. I am laughing at myself because I know that I have trained myself not to do this. But if he caught me wrong, wrong moment, I didn't push the pause button. I'm like, I have now gone all the way in and said stuff he didn't say. How many of you can admit that sometimes when you're arguing with people, you saying stuff that they didn't say? I said, what you think? You think I smoke crack? <laughs> well, he was like, whoa. So then it was my responsibility to call back and own it. And when I called back and owned it, he was gracious about it. Well, not so much when he answered the phone. He said, what's up, crackhead? How you doing? <laughs> what's up, crackhead? <laughs> How you doing? Well, my point to you is that this is not, these aren't things that you ever get perfect at and there's never a time where you can't get off but it has to be a commitment and when you get off like when you're a person that retreats when somebody calls out that you retreat you gotta own it and say okay I retreated give me a few minutes give my give give me an hour to get myself together give me till Sunday at four o'clock we can talk about it then those of you who are angry you gotta let people say to you you yelling you screaming when you talk to me. You keep screaming, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You have to be willing to do the work and the feedback. And that's how change is. And change isn't always. Sometimes when God changes us, there's an instantaneous touch and there are things that happen immediately. But most of the time, you have to walk the process out. Tell your neighbor, say you got to walk the process out. Here are the four things that you need to work on. And then it'll be time. Pastor Amy, you don't have to come do the altar stuff. Number one, you've acknowledged a change that needs to occur, right? Everybody acknowledge a change that needs to occur? Number two, here's the next thing. It's a place of accountability. What will you no longer accept from yourself? Not from other people. We always want to fix other people. We go train other people how to treat us. But first, we go train ourselves how to act. What will you no longer accept of yourself? I won't accept using anger as a weapon against the people that I love for myself anymore. I won't use retreating as an attempt not to resolve conflict. What will you no longer accept from yourself? Number three, what beliefs do you need to replace in order for this change to stick? We've identified them throughout this message. We've got to realize that being angry toward people destroys intimacy, that when we attack people, we destroy relationships, but that when we don't engage, we also destroy relationships, right? So we got to deal with those things right there. You see what I'm saying? What beliefs do I need to replace for this change to stick? I need to associate more pain to being angry than being peaceful. 
I need to stop seeing not being angry as being weak. That's the problem for a lot of you angry people. You think that not being angry is that if you choose not to be angry, you're weak. But in reality, it's the angry man that's weak. And number four, what practical steps must you take to develop this new habit? So I got this change, right? Here's some behavior I'm no longer going to accept for myself. That's all repentance is, is changing and going a different way. I'm no longer going to accept in myself that when I get mad, I get to cuss out the people I love. I'm not going to tolerate that for myself anymore. I don't need them to tell me to stop cursing them anymore. I have decided I don't curse out people I love, nor the people that I see who pass me in traffic and drive slow. I don't curse out people. Amen. Threw that in. I slipped that one in on y'all, right? What beliefs do I need to replace for this change to stick? Some of you can't stop cursing people because you fundamentally believe that the best way to get people to understand something is curse them out. That, that, that you think, some of you, you say, you say, some people don't understand nothing but cussing. And so that's what you start doing. You, what, you, you, they don't understand, they don't understand when you say nothing nice, but it seems like if you cuss them, they understand. This real church stuff right here, this kind of work Jesus did with people right here, Okay. He like, let's talk about why you done had six men. Let's talk about that, okay? What beliefs do you need to replace for this change to step? And what practical steps must you take to develop this habit? Number one, you got to meditate. You got to stop seeing yourself cussing out the people you love. You got to stop replaying that garbage in your head. Number two, you got to develop, those of you who are in relationships, we don't, we'll talk about this a lot in February when we talk about relationships. You have got to develop what we call fair fighting procedures. You got to have fair fighting procedures. When me and Edwin used to fight, he used to always be talking about my mama. <laughs> used to always be talking about my mama. <laughs> and then he made me talk about his mama. And so, <laughs> sorry, my dear. Uh, but what practical steps do we need to take? We both grew up in adversarial situations. If you grew up, if you grew up on a bus in the South, you know you play the dozens, they talk about you, you talk about their mama. That's the next step in conflict. We had to learn that we could not bring bus policies into our relationship. What practical steps do you need to take? This is the work you need to do. You can pray about change all day long. The moment you make a decision to change, here's what's happening when you make a decision to change. Some of you keep waiting on your emotions to change to make the decision. But if you make the decision, your emotions will change. Because the moment you make a decision, the grace of God backs you to help you do what you couldn't do by yourself, and your emotions can line up. Stop waiting on your emotions. Make the decision and train your emotions, okay? We're going to pray. Pastor Emma's going to come. Father, we thank you for the changes that people are making. We thank you that you have not called us to live as angry people or depressed people or people who don't know how to resolve conflict. We thank you that when we deal with these issues in our heart that we are changed and that our relationships will be better and we will be better. Father, I pray right now for everybody who has a physical ailment in their body as a result of suppressing their emotions or as a result of anger, God. I pray that as they begin to walk out and walk free of anger and depression and, and self-abuse and not communicating properly, that they will see healing manifest in their body. I specifically pray for people who suffer from migraines because they do not deal with their emotions properly. I just speak health and healing to them now in Jesus' name. And we thank you for a great anointing to create transformation. In Jesus' name, amen.
enjoyed the word today, go ahead and give the Lord some praise. Amen. Amen. We're about to let you go. I want to remind you, do you have that postcard? I want to remind you about the uh, Christmas party on next week. Amen. Uh, it is not going to be here. And so I know my son mentioned it, but I want to mention it one more time. Here you go, right here. Uh, it is going to be our Christmas party. It is an ugly sweater Christmas party. We're asking you to participate. If you don't have an ugly sweater, that's fine. We still want you to come. Don't not come because you don't have an ugly uh, sweater. Um, it's going to be located at the Quail Ridge uh, Clubhouse. Uh, one of our partners in the ministry was able to get the clubhouse to where they live. The address is there, 1400 Partridge Run. It is in Bentonville, and the zip code is 7271. You can't see the last letter, 2, 72712. Again, take a picture of this or pick up one of these off the table, put it in your car, whatever you need to do so that uh, you'll be ready for next week. At this time, it is your opportunity for uh, to give, amen. We talk about that each week. And so at this time, those of you that uh, have desired so, as you know, we've talked about wanting to launch a church. And I've had several conversations with this with people this week asking when we were going to do that. Uh, as you know, uh, one of the things that it takes is it takes commitment from individuals to run a church. It takes commitment more than just people showing up. And so I don't know if you're a first-time visitor or if you've been here uh, only like once or twice, and you say, hey, you know, this is something I might be interested in. You should have a connection card. If not, they can get you one of those connection cards. Uh, we'd like for you to fill it out. On the back, let us know if you're interested. We, our goal is to have 50 committed individuals who want to launch the church with us, uh, and we're looking at the first quarter in 2015, hopefully Easter Sunday. I think it'd be a great time to launch then. In order to do that, though, we do need people who are committed to the ministry, people to work. You know, I'm listening as we're singing, and I'm hearing people sing, and I'm thinking, hmm, okay, y'all been hiding out on me. So there's some people in here who can participate and on the praise team, people who like to greet and people who like to help uh, in other areas. There is no way to do a ministry by yourself. Amen? Just no way. And so you need people. If we're going to change an entire area, we need people who are willing to do that. And so uh, asking you to, to fill out the connection card if you haven't already. If you're interested in, in even hearing more about the launch, uh, put it on the back of the card. I, you'll get an email or a text or something from me this week. Seeing when we can get together and talk. I'm talking to people individually and collectively about that. So um, hoping you'll do that. If you don't have an offering envelope, you can wait, raise your hand. We do ask you to fill it out. Here's the reason. Uh, we like to maintain financial integrity where the IRS is concerned. So we want to make sure that if they ever ask us how much you gave, we actually have the documentation to show that. Uh, whether you're given a dollar or a million dollars, we just ask you to fill that card out, uh, put your name on it, and the date and the amount, those are the main things. So if you'll be happy, if you'll be willing to do that at this time, I want to ask Cameron to come, on, come up. Uh, we're going to let you out of here, and we're going to go to the Nutcracker. Amen. Another night. Praise God. Amen. That's Sean said, be generous givers. Amen. Uh, and how many, and so at this time, if you would, you, if you have, if you have, if you'd like to give, just come. You can give. Greet somebody you didn't come with. Amen. Give them a hug. Pat them on the back. Tell them you love them. Tell them you miss them. Uh, and remember, we will not be here next week. We will not be here next week. We will be at the Christmas party on the address that I gave you. God bless.